In the middle of a boon in introspective teen films, Joel Schumacher realized that young adults were being left out. St. Elmo's Fire addressed that with a sensational cast of up-and-comers who were familiar faces, but not quite movie stars, half of whom were recommended by John Hughes straight from his film The Breakfast Club. The film received an eye-roll from the adult critics who saw it, but it launched a hit song, soundtrack, and a group of exciting new stars. And once again, the entire friend group has sex with each other. <laughs> of course, of course, because this is 80s movies. I got to know what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. St. Elmo's Fire is about a tight group of college friends who struggle to figure out their lives post-graduation. And, I mean, th- this this group isn't, like, at all what I would think a group would be in college. Like, they're all opposites, in my opinion. Yeah. You got a Republican. Well, like, he's a Democrat. That's part of what you well, learn. He was a Democrat the whole time in college. Working. Well, he's a politician uh-huh. at the end of the day. And then you have. Okay, the head of the Young Democrats, right? The president <laughs> of the Young Democrats group. And then you have uh, a writer. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, a. a a saxophone rock, like rock a musician, star, a music- alcoholic guy. Sa- I know it's hard to, to factor saxophone as cool right now, but sax the sax was the sexiest musical instrument yeah. of all time in the 80s. And then you got the nerdy virgin, <laughs> and then you have the, what, what what's the girlfriend do? Uh, and then you have the, the rich girl who has daddy issues. Right, right. I mean, has sex with all of them, probably. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that what it was trying to show that I think is historically accurate is, you know, this was a new era of women really being allowed to have careers. Jules in investment banking. Uh, Leslie is an artist. We're not really sure what kind of artist, but she works somewhere in in the arts, and it seems like a more professional uh, uh, version of that. Um, and uh, Wendy is a social worker, and then of course you know we have Dale Bieberman, who's a doctor, right? So that's how we get our our fourth woman, and they're all kind of on this new frontier for women being able to have these careers that traditionally belong to men and they're all trying to prove themselves in different ways and and in ways you may not think about I mean one it's interesting what we learn from Wendy her dad is like oh yeah this social worker thing this is just a phase you're going through you're gonna get married you're gonna have kids like that's your goal you're a woman that's what you do and it really is interesting because in uh, these elitist wealthy circles that really was a point of view where women were, you know, discouraged from having careers and were seen as, you know, trophy wives or or someone who was going to maintain the house. It was almost insulting to the man if you did work, you know. And so we see that with Wendy. Um, You know, with Leslie, it's interesting because she's fighting Alec. Alec just wants to get married, just wants to get married. And Leslie is like... Even though he's cheating on her? Of course. That's why he's cheating on her, he says. (laughs) Um, You know, and what a remarkable amount of you know, of self-control Leslie has to never have brought up the cheating beforehand. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think what I want to mention about Jules that isn't said in the film, that's more understood in 1985, is that her career as an investment banker meant something different. There's there's something about having to play with the, the big boys, right? There's something about... 
I got to fit into the guys club. And at the time, investment bankers and any money having to do with money, whether it was Wall Street or, or something else, there was an understanding that you had a lavish lifestyle, that you were partying with the rich and powerful. You were carrying expensive designer drugs. And you see that with Jules, right? And, you know, her calling, I'm with these Arabs and, uh, you know, I, I heard gangbang. <laughs> and she's snorting coke all the time. And and that really actually kind of went with the job. But they don't they don't really get into that or talk about that. But that's indicative of her trying to keep up with them. And I know when I started my career in radio, which has also traditionally been a, a boys club, I ran into that too of how do I get in? It's the guys who are getting promotions. Women, women aren't on, you know, you didn't hear women getting, uh, you know, afternoon drive, for example, they believe there was never a woman in afternoon drive because men didn't want to hear women at that time. Part was the understanding as stupid as that is. And, uh, you know, there, there, there really is having to figure out how you fit into that world. On the guy's side, they're, they're, part of the reason that St. Elmo's Fire was written was because Joel Schumacher realized how much life had changed. Where when you were, it used to be that kids would be like, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a policeman. I want to be, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. And they just kind of had these notions. And so they would go on. And But, but then it, it started changing in the 80s where teenagers would be like, I'm going to be a portfolio manager and here's how I'm going to get there. Here's my 20 year plan. Um, and he thought how sad and hard and challenging for them. And so what we're seeing in the male characters is is that point of view as well, especially with Kirby, who's like, I'm going to law school. Wait, I'm going to medical school, medical school. Wait, I'm just going to, you know, in, work with gangsters. I'm still not sure what that one was about. Um, <laughs> and, and they're all trying to figure out who they are. Uh, Alec trying to figure out, okay, it's not financially as money was everything in the eighties, everything, newly everything. Um, it's not as financially lucrative to be a Democrat as it is a Republican. And so he makes the switch. And to me, that was one of the most eye-opening things in this movie is what you could just trade in your values for money. What? That's the American way. It is. It has become the American way. Yeah, it really has. And I think that's a, a, a sad statement on that. Oh, this country is sad. <laughs> um, okay, so there's many many a thing, many an issue in this film. I, I want to say that St. Elmo's Fire is one of my very favorite films. And yet there is not a single scene that that totally holds up in the, you know, in the sense, like it's, there's a cringe moment in every scene. Every, what's wrong with your parents? This is a great film to look at. Because all these characters were so attractive and cool, um, so when you see them acting in all of these ways, it sort of uh, just reiterated or told us that this behavior was okay. So, where would you like to dive in? <laughs> I mean, I think we got to start with uh, what's his jazz player. Uh, with with uh, Billy, mm -hmm. Billy the Kid. All right, and go ahead, give me your Billy the Kid. No, I didn't say that. Rob Lowe? Oh, yeah. He's Billy, but they called him Billy the Kid. But I thought Billy the Kid was... And Young Guns, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a historical character, but they just called him Billy the Kid. Uh, I know. Emilio, it's sense. even more confusing because Emilio Estevez goes on to literally play Billy the Kid a few that's years later. That's what I later. thought. I was like, no. We'll just call him Billy. Okay, let's start with let's Billy. Let's just say Rob Lowe. Okay, so, so, so which element of <clears throat> Billy? Because there's so much that's wrong with Billy. Well, first of all... This is Rob Lowe's hottest movie. Like, period. Right. Like, even though he is a misogynistic, sexist douchebag who's just trying to have sex with everyone. Or, or was, but yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Just 
even though he's his definitely prime <laughs> prime time uh and he was perfect for this role mm-hmm. yeah um so what else tell you about that that i found fascinating is that rob Lowe wrote in his autobiography that he actually wasn't that guy he was actually a nerdy drama kid in school he wasn't cool he moved out here with his mom, wasn't a great situation, kind of hung out. They were in Malibu, Malibu, which we only know rich people live in now. There it was a little different. There was a lot of hippies. And and he lived near Emilio Estevez uh, and Martin Sheen and, and Charlie Sheen and hung out with them. But um, but what he said is he was he was a dork and he played this role. And, and, and keep in mind that most of them, like Ali Sheedy had done war games Mayor Winningham, the one who plays Wendy, she was the star that the studio was excited about. She'd been in this TV miniseries called The Thornbirds. And, you know, of all of them, she's the one who's held up the least, right? <laughs> and had the least star power in the long run. Um, but She always got poopy roles, though. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, that's the one that they thought was their their big star here. Um, but for Rob Lowe, he hadn't done much. The, the Outsiders was kind of the big film for he and uh, Emilio Estevez at this point. And, um... And so it was against type for him, but he plays Billy and everyone sees him and lauds him. The critics laud him for this role and everyone assumes he is Billy. And this is a problem that happens with actors where people associate you so closely with your role. And he, but, but this character was a great character, right? He's fun. He gets the girls. He's where the party is. And he's so, the character you want to be. I wouldn't say he's the best character. Well, no, he's, you're right. You're saying this correctly. He's the character you want to be. And he realized that he wanted to be Billy. Everyone thought he was Billy. And he embraced that and became that guy. And I, I, I mean, you see this with actors, Cary Grant, that happened to as well. Like, uh, everyone assumed he was this character he created. And he's like, I'm going to run with that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and of course, him being Billy is what starts to get him in greater and greater trouble as an adult, mm-hmm. as he as he gets older. Um, Billy is such a problematic character. I would start with the opening scene. Drunk driving is funny. Yeah. He, he, you know, while they're like, oh, Billy, and he gets arrested, and it's all jokes, and it's all fun, and he's out, you know, soon after, and everyone's ha, 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 even Wendy, who, you know, ha- was hospitalized. <laughs> but I think that's an 80s point of view about, dr- drunk, you know, uh, driving drunk. People were driving drunk long after they knew that wasn't okay. It took a long time to really turn the tide for in really the I would say millennials did this. Um, they I mean Uber happened and they were just like yeah like we don't drive drunk. Why would you? And we're and then all the Gen Xers are like yeah of course you're right nobody did that ever uh, certainly not me. Um, What's funny is that you guys are the ones with the children. I know you're right I'm exactly uh, this is part of the messed up you know, mess of my generation. Um, Secondly, I think one of the most disturbing moments to me in St. Elmo's Fire is the attempted sexual assault. Oh, so many times. Even with Wendy and with uh, Jules. Yeah. That, that both of that made me so uncomfortable. Oh, I, I mean, Wendy is an enabler of Billy. She allows, I mean, I mean, and let's start with the fact Billy's married and has a kid. Yeah. You know? So they are Billy's friends. They shouldn't be indulging him in any way. 
Wendy shouldn't be giving Jules advice on not getting involved with a married man when she's crushing hard on a married man. Yes, that's true. Uh, it's just so messed up. But the scene with Billy and Jules where he, uh, you know, we understand they had a history, right? We understand they used to date. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, they seem to have like a, we're friends, we're going to make out, it's no big deal kind of a thing. And then Billy takes it further and wants, you know, and, and is pushing her head, pushing Jules' head down yeah. into his lap, continually insisting that they have sex, puts the keys in his pants. It is a very rapey scene. So rapey. And I'm like, and that's who we all, but here's where Generation X is so messed up because the girls walked away thinking how, how hot Billy is. Mm -hmm. right and they and they continue through the film wendy's still into him everyone's into him and jules by the way after this moment after this evening how would you act with someone after they had done that to you would you be hanging with them all the time no billy's the one who comes to jules rescue at the end and she you know they hug and embrace they're longtime friends they get each other but no 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 he just tried to sexually assault you Jules <laughs> it is not okay and I think there was part of this belief system that you know for a woman in the 80s it's a joke it's a joke uh, it's a joke but also because we're friends do you think I would do that to you oh right but also there was this whole thing about getting your numbers up like uh, we've already had sex so once we've had sex what's having more sex it's doesn't matter you know, it's not about that. Yeah. I mean, it's we, when we talk about sexual agency today, you know, about women having getting to make their own sexual choices. This is an example of this, of, of the lack of it, that men would assume I can just have sex with you. You know, we've had sex before. I can have sex with you, even if it's assault. And it's a real issue because these kind of rapes that happen were not taken seriously no. by cops or any authority figures. You would be dismissed in a heartbeat. Oh, that's your ex-boyfriend or that's your husband or that's whatever. Like, no, you don't get to file charges. It's understood. You guys had sex once, you have sex forever. It's his call. <laughs> and that's part of the really messed up thing about the way that we were trained, women were trained to think. That that was just part of the game. That was just part of life. Yeah, you know, you get raped, move on. I mean, I'm not kidding. There's a, a, a producer who uh, has produced a legendary 80s film who is a friend of my friend. And she thinks the whole Me Too movement is silly. I mean, she's she's older than, you know, most of the Me Too victims. She was a producer in the 80s and older and older then. And she'd be like, yeah, it happens. So what? Get on with your life. I mean, you know, like it's it's part of doing business is how this older generation of even women used to think. So I would say that that moment uh, with Jules and Billy is well, the most disturbing to me. Yes. Plus the fact that she actually wanted to talk to him. And that is why she has her mental breakdown in the first place. Right. Right. She literally says, I need to talk to you. Stop doing this. I just wanted a friend. All I wanted was a friend just to talk to. And then where does she go? She disappears. And then she locks herself in her apartment mm -hmm. and Billy comes to her rescue. And she's like, oh, I love you, Billy. <laughs> I know. And Willie love uh, and Wendy loves Billy as well. Um so I will say that I noted I was paying more attention this last time we watched it and realized that Wendy did not have sex with Billy till after he was divorced or their marriage was annulled, you know, until that was definitely over. So thank you. <laughs> 
appreciate that. Uh, but Billy's obsession with Wendy's virginity and wanting to be the one who took it. So gross. Uh, and the, the, and to me, part of the thing that I hate the most about all of it, besides the fact that her virginity is a joke to him for most of the time. And I think it's more of a, uh, like a, it's more of a carrot, you know, dangling, like, Billy wants the carrot. Oh, she's a virgin. I'm going to be the one to bed her. I should be the one to deflower her. That's that's what that's about. And when he leaves and says, may I ask the favor or the honor of, you know, a parting gift or whatever, as if it's some noble thing to have sex with the fat girl which by the way she's like a size 8 which was considered fat in the 80s and even more Mary Winningham although she was pregnant at the time that they shot was is not fat like she's not fat she's not the fat chick she isn't <laughs> and by the way how they talk about girls who are heavier right yep. we see that with Alec and Kevin where Alec's like oh are you in bed with the fat chick <laughs> Yeah, because everybody assumes he's gay. Yeah. Uh, it. Yeah. All right. So that. So there's another thing that's wrong with your parents, right? And that is still in my generation, at least with boys. Boys, I think that will always be something to them, the virginity of it. Like, it's always going to be to someone. The person that I've been on and off with but never really dated told me, okay, so because I knew he was a Billy... Uh I was like, there's no way I'm letting this man take my virginity. No, it's not going to happen. So, and I waited a really long time for that reason. So I was like, I'm waiting for a good person to take it because I know that guys treasure that. So I'm waiting for a good person. (laughs) (laughs) But you you should treasure that. That's the point. I mean, yes, but but for me, I also wanted a good, I did not want to give it away to a Billy. I didn't want to do that. Because that's that's like so like. Yeah, that's what I did. That's (sighs) like. God. I know. It's, well, I, I don't know. But I was like, this is not happening. I did not wait this long to lose it to this fucker. But at the same time, I was like, but I do really like this guy. I really kind of do want to go, but I don't want to lose it to him. So I did it with someone who I trusted, love them. Good friends. Childhood friends, you know, uh-huh. really quickly. And then like the next day. <laughs> I, and so I later I had told him I was stupid for even telling him that but I did tell him and he tells me to this day that is why he never asked me out to uh-huh. date him because he thought he was like well I wanted to take your virginity and I wanted to be your boyfriend because of that but then you slept with someone else and I was a hoe because I didn't want to lose my virginity to him yeah so yeah. to this day it has been four or five years and we still talk and he still has never asked me out if I he asked you to prom I just didn't let you go with him yeah and that's another reason he never how is I didn't know this was gonna last four years I didn't know this was gonna last for four years he didn't ask you in a nice way that's why (laughs) okay and just for listeners I I was going out of town there were gonna be no parents it wasn't your big prom you were a sophomore yeah and uh this he gave this super lame invitation which was only because your friends you guys were friends with a couple who was going and he was gonna make you pay for everything and we couldn't just, like, leave you on a prom night, uh, you know, in someone else's care, because that's a lot. There's a lot going on with no, prom night. No, he actually paid my, for my ticket. Well... He said he bought my ticket, and then I said, no, I can't. Oh, uh, well, you didn't... That was not information I had. But regardless, 
he just he like asked you in the laziest most uninterested way and so we were like you know what he probably bought that ticket for his girlfriend and they broke up and then he invited me last minute see there you go so yeah i know see i was i was helping but anyway four years (laughs) later okay now that you guys have been on and off for four years but yeah and the same time he has never taken you on a date he has taken me on a date we've just never dated okay i see all right but we've gone we've gone to restaurants Mm -hmm. (laughs) were you paid (laughs) maybe (laughs) all the time i do buy his in and out a lot Mm -hmm. all right all right just if you're listening she knows it's an issue i do know it's an issue she wants to move away and not tell him so that she can she's he's that guy for her i literally was this close i was so close to moving to nashville (laughs) and not telling him and then it all canceled and i was like great now i have to keep going and one of the only reasons by the way me and my friends are still going with all of these stupid guys is because we know them and because of covid we don't want to meet any new people yeah you can't be hooking up with new people yeah 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 yeah. so uh, and and all of our friend groups intertwine at the end of the day so like whatever (laughs) you know what i mean so right well i do want to bring saint almost fire back to the weight issue um i think that's how we got it (laughs) off on that tangent um which uh what i thought you were gonna say too is like you're talking about the virginity but also we were talking about weight and you know being skinny was so vital then uh and then i know you feel like that you you know you are really skinny and that in this day and age, it's a problem to be really thin. Well, it is, but it isn't. Like, I wish I was thinner, but at the same time, I want more boobies like, <laughs> and more ass. Like, I like, I'm just like a stick. At that this just point. comes with age, though. I'm just like, you don't want to, don't but rush it. You man. know it what? Happens. It doesn't. <laughs> because my friends who are my age, most of my girlfriends, except my best friend, who is like the same, she is a little more than me, but all Haley, Riley, double D's. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Riley, Riley's a G. Mm-hmm. and she got that in freshman sophomore year of high school yeah i mean some girls do and that's the case but i'm you know it, i'm just saying don't rush it it'll happen just it's enjoy whatever your... i'm just saying like it's a, <laughs> it's a little doesn't sucky. have big boobs like all these like beautiful skinny girls they don't have them like i know but like you're but that's in high school they're not looking at some famous actress right yeah. they're looking at a <laughs> high schooler who's hitting puberty and it's still kind of <sighs> High school was a pain. Now, see, that's so disappointing. I'm just getting I called like... flat chested all the time, especially at that rich kid white boy school I went to. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They judge every single girl on their bodies. You think they talk to girls because of their personalities? No. No. Never. Popularity. That's all it is. It's popularity and hotness and boobs and ass. I think it's. I guess I'm just disappointed because I thought your generation was so much more evolved about body image, that you guys seem so much more comfortable in your skin than I think my generation was. Well, I think we watched how you guys kind of idolized bulimia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a, a good way. way to put it, yes. But um, what's what's kind of hard is we were kind of there, but it's more of like, okay, the people who can be skinny – or be fat like there are those people and those people end up they glow up they're fat fat before and been bullied before they end up glowing up in a couple years but then there's also the people that are just born like that or just have always been like heavier and can't lose weight which I know some people like that Mm -hmm. and I think 
those people are what is making it more, like, you know you can't choose to be fat all the time. <laughs> like, it doesn't work like that for everyone. And also, like, depression and binge eating mm-hmm. and all that stuff. That's real stuff. So mm-hmm. it happens. And I feel like a lot of people are less judgy, especially in America because, uh, like, only, like, ten years ago we were, like, the fattest country, right? Right. <laughs> it seemed like it, yeah. Right. I, I, which sure. is weird because I don't remember seeing too many fat people. Maybe that's just because we live in L.A. and not Texas. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, like, when we watch Super Size Me or something, it's all fat people everywhere. And he's talking about how, like, everyone in the country is, like, super fat and, like, super unhealthy. In the 70s and 80s because of the food processing. That's what it was about. So, um, you know, it was it, it's about what got put in our food. And we started eating fast food and canned food and, you know, processed food and uh, preservatives and, you know, all of these things. And so, you know, chemicals in our food and and all of that led to a much more unhealthy lifestyle. But... Um, well, also, side note, all of our food is, uh, what's that word called when they scientifically process it to make it completely different? Oh, yeah, Genetically. genetically modified. Yeah. That is most of our food. I've been seeing so many things of people saying when they go to other countries, the food is, first of all, so much better. Second of all, they can eat a ton more and actually lose weight because of it. Like, everything's just, it all looks better. It looks fresher. It tastes fresher. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's all real. And all of America's food is fake. Like, everything mm-hmm. is genetically modified or whatever. So, just saying. Just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's an interesting cycle where, you know, it is, I mean, it's really fascinating because I think when we look at older movies, like classic films from the 30s and 40s, and it just didn't, I mean, you saw people who were overweight. It just didn't feel like there was this skinniness. And and I think we fought through that in the 80s. I think the 80s, I mean, the 60s were bad. They had Twiggy, uh, who was the icon of, of femininity, you know, of feminine desirability of being like this little tiny elf you know and then and then you know the 70s and 80s were another really thin time and 80s were pretty bad and then we start to you know I think Jennifer Lopez is one person who who started to make uh curves uh, Cindy Crawford is one who is still so skinny that it, it's just ridiculous to me we ever called her curvy. Um, Dolly Parton. Well, Dolly Parton's different. Yeah, it's a different kind. She had an hourglass figure. She had something. Right. But and she also. But that's curvy. But she also got her career going in the 60s, which was into that curvier shape. Uh, anyway, so I, I feel like the 90s, we start to get a little bit more reasonable about it. But then in the 90s, we get into fake boobs. Uh, and that starts to be the the big trend um, where women are just getting. And by the way, Demi Moore, insane almost fire. That's her natural self. Somewhere in the '90s, she gets a a boob job. You know. Um, so then in the '90s, there was the pressure to have really large breasts. And um, but and and the weird credit is I'll I'll give credit to both Paris Hilton for helping usher in a time where having your regular breast size was acceptable. And then also, that is the one thing that I will give Kim Kardashian is that she, I think, helped usher in uh, larger derrieres and like larger sizes. And I and I feel like that gave way to more acceptability across the board. I guess maybe with white people. <laughs> well, Kim, Kim Kardashian I, isn't white. No, but I'm saying that white people, like these people, are making it uh, like. 
helping white people understand that everybody's bodies are different yeah, you're and right. natural. You're right. Um, because if we want to say it, like, black men have been loving booty yeah. since way back when. Like, right. baby got back is, like, 90s, right? Right. Like, I'm just saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> white people are the people who judge the heck out of everybody else. And those people, because Kim Kardashian is so beautiful and somehow, like, I don't know, is this huge icon? I guess um it made more and you know I I but at the same time Kim Kardashian is also the person doubling down on the other things you're concerned about which is the you know am I like the sexiness that we have to be so hot and sexy all the time yes but in the same way she does one of the ways she like she kind of helped women express their sexuality in a sort of way without kind of I mean she was made fun of and dragged for 10 to 15 years even to now yeah but but uh a lot of people, women were called whores for wearing a really short skirt, you know what I mean? And, like, just even mentioning sex made you a whore, even just, just talking about it, which is why women didn't really talk about it, and which is why now sex is also evolving, mm-hmm. and why people are more comfortable with themselves. I think it's honestly just because we're all talking about it. Podcasts mm-hmm. are a huge thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like just because of, we're all talking about it, we're all understanding, we're explaining it out, we're not fighting, mm-hmm. and um that's just making people more comfortable with the fact that other people are like that and the fact that they're like that and they can and people can just deal with it because that's them yeah so i feel like that's the only reason it's better though because like we still got mad suicide going on we still got mad eating disorders going on we like all that's still going on Mm -hmm. but the only reason we're better is that we're more comfortable with it because with the internet everybody can express themselves and everyone can listen right so right uh i think that's a good point so but yeah. also with the 80s, girls being skinny might have also had to do with the fact that cocaine is a very big thing. <laughs> and that thing makes you skinny. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that is a great point. You're a teenager or a kid in the 80s and you're looking at the body types that are socially acceptable, maybe not realizing that all of the people making the movies and the behind the magazines are snorting coke. You they know? all are. They, <laughs> they literally were. They definitely, are. They definitely were. Okay, now let's talk about Leslie and Kevin. <laughs> yes. I mean, he, there is something that has, that was, happened in the 80s and I think still happens now where, you know, I, I think, I think both genders, but I can only speak for women, that we have that friend, that guy, who adores us. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, and we don't have the same feelings for that. And we like them. Like, they're a really good friend. You kind of know in the back of your head that they crush on you, but Mm -hmm. you're just like, we're just going to keep it friends, you know? Keep them in the friend zone. And it's nice to... to, And that's what what Kevin is to Leslie. Mm -hmm. And then she needs the attention. She needs... She's drunk, number one. She's drunk. uh, And they sleep together. And then he's super needy. Like, let's move in together. I'm in love with you. It's too much for her. And so even though uh, Andrew McCarthy is my 80s crush and he has those blue eyes that you just want to, like, swim in and forever, uh, you know, you get that he's, like, that guy who's, like, really just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to just push you. Yeah. Like, I like you like a friend. (laughs) But there are two different types of those guys, though. 
And sometimes it's really hard to dis- hard to distinguish, and it can be the worst when you don't distinguish it. It's, there's the guys that crush on you and will do anything for you, like Kevin was to her. Like mm-hmm. he would he would protect her in the background. He would be probably keeping an eye out on her at parties, or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But then there's all there's the guys that have a crush on you, and if they got their chance alone with you, they would shoot their shot and not stop. Which mm-hmm. I feel like is what kind of Kirby did to the doctor, like. Do you not understand? She does not freaking like you. Like, she's not showing up to dates. She's showing up late. She's a busy woman. She's cordial. The whole, okay, so let's talk about this because this is another big. She's so much older than him, too. I know. And she's a a doctor. Like, this guy's like halfway through law school and then halfway through medical school. Like, I think he's he's in his first year after college. So he's just started law school. And and she's a doctor. That means she's gone for five years of school at this point. Like, she doesn't want a little kid. She's making her own big money. Like, well, the bigger problem for me isn't that, you know, are they worthwhile as a couple? It's really that he is a stalker. Yes, full on. And the film endorses stalking as an adorable trait, Mm -hmm. right? So... Dale is so polite to uh to Kirby all along like she's and and she's oh, like I mean I'm not going to say someone's at fault for encouraging a stalker. Right, right. Cuz she is leading it on a little she bit. She is leading it on a little she's bit. She's still agreeing to go on date. She's still agreeing to and do she's stuff. She's like Kirby, what are you doing here? And oh, okay. Come inside. Maybe I'll come to your party and whatever. But like she does encourage it a little bit but i don't want to be you know like this that's no excuse for but him. i but i find more at fault than dale with the writers the two male writers who wrote her character you know who who created this person who encourages this behavior and allows it and even you know when he kisses her at the end after he's hunted her down hunted her down he went to her house and uh and and threatened her roommate said i can't be responsible for what i will do to you if you don't give me the information of where she is he is scary uh he is a threat and then when he shows up oh come in you're gonna freeze spends the night and then as he leaves you know he kisses her and instead of her pushing him off she allows him actually i think puts her arms around and kisses him back and then looks at him like oh maybe i'm missing out (laughs) i was like yeah do you know let me just tell you why that's in there so this was written by Joel Schumacher and Carl Kurlander, who was his intern at the time. Um, and his intern, this is this, this whole story originates with that story about having a crush on this girl who is not returning your affections. So the reason it ends like that is a fantasy for the writer because that's how he wishes it would have ended up. Yep. But in doing so, you encourage you know, millions of male viewers (laughs) to believe that if you are persistent and we do encourage persistence as a key to success, if you persevere, you just might have a shot that, that all of this are continually telling you, or that's probably the problem. She doesn't continually tell him she's not interested. She needs to be more clear Mm -hmm. that she is not interested in him and we can be friends and that's it. Uh, but yeah, the stalking element is super disturbing. And again, this is part of the issue with the film. Like, there's so much to like about it, and yet every single scene there's something wrong with it. And just saying also for the kiss, like, like a kiss is going to change your opinion on someone. Well, it will. 
but not necessarily that way. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. I, I know that I, I, I think uh, a lot of people can attest to a kiss being a defining moment. Either you maybe have an affection for someone and then you kiss them and you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is over. Right. Uh, or, you know, uh, I mean, I know I have a, a, a situation where when I was in college where I had a friend and he was cute and all my friends liked him. And I because I saw all of our friends every time they would finally try to make something happen with him that would end their friendship and so our friend circle got smaller and smaller till it was just me and him and so I basically he's cute but wasn't really thinking that and then he kissed me and it was literally like fireworks you know it was just like what <laughs> I'm in love with you and then I felt like I was Kirby I just didn't, I didn't know what to do I was too young to have those feelings and had no idea how to act or behave or or how to turn that friendship into a proper relationship. So he would call me butthead. Um, that's the kind of relationship we had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So I do want to bring this back to the money. We see how money is valued at all levels, including Kirby saying, oh, money, money. It's money you want. And then he goes to work for Mr. Kim. Billy goes to work for Mr. Kim. So we see in the paper that Mr. Kim is a lobbyist, but as he is described uh, by Leslie, Mr. Kim is a Korean gangster and everyone is encouraging, uh, oh good, Billy's working for him. Now Kirby's working for him, you know, uh, and he's a Korean gangster. He's a gangster. Why are we wanting our friends to work for him? And throwing parties in his house and disrespecting his stuff. Like, you don't think you're going to get shot? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and nothing happens. So I'm like, well, maybe he's not a gangster. (laughs) Maybe that was it. But but, but at that party, again, we see uh, Billy and Jules doing cocaine. You actually see them snorting cocaine if you look in the back. Uh... And this idea that cocaine is cool really dominates the film. Um, you know, Jules is snorting cocaine the whole time. Billy is, when he, Billy goes to visit his friends, and he's like, maybe I could get a job here. You know, the, the kids on the college campus, and they're like, yeah, we need someone to buy us good drugs. There really was that uh, environment that cocaine was everything, that it was okay. Uh, and, and as far as the film industry con- was concerned, that they, you know, there was a belief that cocaine made you more productive and more creative. Drugs were good. Uh, so you you see that. But the most shocking moment to me is how Jules' friends, how Leslie and Wendy are so worried about Jules that they stage an intervention. But it has nothing to do with her raging cocaine habit. It has to do with the fact she's sleeping with her boss. <laughs> Which she wasn't even sleeping with anymore because she had gotten fired weeks ago. Uh-huh, right. But they don't know that. Well, she's yeah, telling I know. I'm lie. just saying, like... Yeah, and so, I mean, in her frenetic behavior, it's clearly because she's coked up. The other, you know, so one thing is, and Jules is the most glamorous character. There's no way as a girl, a 15-year-old girl as I was, that you didn't want to be Jules. Demi Moore was super sexy, super cool. Also you, you loved know. her blonde hair. Oh, I didn't I even know. know she had that. I know. She was awesome. That voice, I mean, everything about her. And the fact it was Billy, too, it just promotes the message that the cool kids snort coke. But then about the boss, like this was kind of a new thing that was, uh, you know, we've gone in cycles where it's been okay to date each other in the workplace and not okay. And so I think we, in the 80s, we were really at this particular moment in time, after a history of 60s and 70s where guys dated their secretaries and left their wives for their secretaries and all of that, 
uh, with more women in the workplace, there started to be this opinion that this could be problematic. <clears throat> Me too. Um, you know. And nine to five. I right, have that too. Right, right. And so HR started to get more involved. So this is an interesting mid-80s point of view where they're like, you can't be sleeping with your married boss. This is a problem for you for your career. <laughs> And Jules is like, oh, no, this will be great. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a scandal. I'll write a book. I'll be a talk show host. It's all going to work out. No one cares about her her co-cabin. And they're also worried about her obsession with her stepmother. Um, Yeah. I mean. And in the end, it all is about her daddy issues. Which felt like, again, like men writing women. I mean, yes. But at the same time, like, yeah, her her friends can't see that. That, like, yes, she's a step witch. But, like. She was the only person at home. She literally said her dad is, like, her dad already, like, went to Cabo and married his other wife. Like, right, right. Like, fourth or whatever. Right. So, it's, like, that was kind of, like, her only person. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where her, I don't know where her mom is. Yeah, yeah. We never told us about where her mother was. But yeah. she, the fact that she's entirely responsible for this woman and that she can't even get in touch with her dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I mean, there's a reason to be talking about that all the time. They're, like she, like that's what therapy is, and that's what what you have friends for is to talk out what, why you're so stressed out, and maybe they can give you advice or help you. Mm-hmm. Right. And nobody does that. They just say you're crazy. Well, it's true, but also remember that divorce was something that started rising in the '70s and dominated the '80s. So, in like I think I told you, I knew one. I only had one friend whose parent they weren't even my friend. I only know like one person whose parents were divorced. Uh, it through most of my elementary school years, and I, as far as I know, even into high school. I mean, I can't think of no. I have well, I have my friend Erin. Her parents were famously divorced because her dad cheated on her mom, and you know, and then it was and it was really bad. But like, uh, but but this so they so they wouldn't necessarily relate is what I'm saying. That tell, talking to your friends about these issues might not have been relatable. Okay, and, but as your friend, especially someone for five years, if you have a problem, just like if any of them have a problem, they go to their friends to talk it out. It doesn't matter whether they they can relate to it or not. Yeah, yeah. They're your friends and right. they should listen to you and listen to your concerns and give you ideas of how they can fix it. Because at the end of the day, this is all things that happens to a ton of people. Right. Just not everyone. Well, I think we see that Jules doesn't want anyone to think she's not fabulous, right? And that's part of the issue But she's with talking Jules. about it anyways. But what we learn about Jules is that she is trying to be so fabulous because she feels so unloved because her father, she feels unloved by her father. So she tries to make sure everyone else sees how wonderful she is um but it does get back into this like this idea of marriage which they talk about a lot in the film career first marriage second was an emerging notion so we see we know leslie talks to alec about that no we'll wait for my career no we'll wait for my career wendy is saying that to her dad i really want to have a career i want it for myself and then kevin says you know marriage is obsolete uh you know talks about how marriage is something that used to be done and how it goes on the back burner right and then that's why we see alec as sort of this old guard type of personality uh who is like no we must get married we must do that just like some of the other men what i think is interesting about that is and alec is boring um Alec is yeah so Alec is a sociopath he I'm is a sociopath sure. <laughs> he is a sociopath but in his behaving the way he does 
kind of validates in a way. I mean, we see that Alec's behavior is wrong. We understand that, and people understood that at the time, that clearly he wasn't going to stop having affairs just because he got married, that that was an invalid argument and i think that's fairly recognized in the film but But then at the end he's just like how do i get her back that's all he ever says after they break up and how do i get her back and the friends say that right like the last thing billy says to alec is you know don't let her go and and so we know don't don't give him that advice and so even (laughs) though leslie's like i need to be alone okay now let's talk about the other concerning thing about billy that i think is shocking to watch now is how he you know, decides to cede all rights to his baby daughter. Yeah, that's messed up. And that is that is 80s thinking. I mean, I would say, like, fathers didn't have a lot of rights in the 80s. And um, uh, child custody arrangements were, like, not really the norm either. There was a lot of weekend dads. He's like, well, instead of being a weekend dad, I thought about staying here. But what's really right for Melody is for me to just let her have this new life with a new family. And... That was a point of view that was circulated, that that people believed in at the time. We now know that's incredibly damaging because the child says, my birth parent abandoned me, and they grow up with that kind of emotional weight on their heart and thinking, what's wrong with me? Why would you leave me? And usually these men would go start other families and other lives. So they leave thinking, okay, like everything is compartmentalized. I had a child. That didn't work out. They're going to have a new family, you know, because there was this belief that you have this nuclear family, mother, father, child, period, done. Not a bunch of branches, (laughs) you know, not these extended relationships. They just believed that that was more harmful than good. At least there was, there, there, a lot of people thought that. So I think this is a remarkable look at how Billy's like, eh, I'm just going to go to New York and pursue my, my dream. Forget them. It's okay. They'll be better off. Right. So Kevin being gay because he doesn't he hasn't had sex in a really long time. Yeah. So we just assume he's gay. A little <laughs> stereotypical. Like okay, just because he's a man that doesn't have sex a lot means he's gay. Like, I mean, I think you're actually hitting on something that's I hadn't even thought of, which is yeah, the 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 idea was so dominant in the '80s that we must be having sex. If we are a young person, we must be having sex. If you're not there's something wrong with you and what would be wrong with you being gay that's something is tiny (laughs) yeah but there's something wrong with you right like that's the idea and so even the prostitute isn't gonna hit him up oh you must be gay because you're not looking at me in this lustful way you're not in you know it couldn't be that you were in love with somebody who's unavailable Mm -hmm. but i think what's fascinating is Ah, uh, there's not that many movies that introduce gay characters. And so what Well, he's not a gay character. He's not a gay character. And so it is I'm just saying beginning, right? We were starting to see characters who were effeminate, who maybe would code as gay because it wasn't really acceptable yet to to I mean, even Jules says, you know, being gay became very chic in the seventies. It's okay. Meet my friend Ron. And she's trying to set him up. So even though Kevin isn't gay, it is progressive in the sense that Jules sets up, as does the prostitute, that there's nothing wrong with being gay. Mm-hmm. They may be assuming the wrong thing about Kevin. Right. But 
they're accepting of his choice. Right. Uh, it just happens to be it's not his choice. I mean, and, and Joel Schumacher was gay. And so I'm sure that's why that's there. Right. Um, and he's talked about the fact that he couldn't write stories that necessarily were about gay characters because that would never get through the studios. So you had to code like the Lost Boys, um, mm-hmm. which is which is coded gay. So um, even though I didn't believe it until I read what Joel Schumacher had to say. And then I was like, oh, OK, it was. <laughs> All I right. forgot what was gay about that. Oh, just like there's a lot of homo eroticism between the, guy, the, the guys. guys. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's what I their relationship. I mean, I was like, they're friends. What are you talking about? And I was I, I was lusting over the girl the whole time. <laughs> there you go. I wasn't even paying attention to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, another great film. Please find our podcast on the Lost Boys because there's a lot, a lot in there. That, that is... 80s movies guide. Yes, so 80smoviesguide.com is where you can find actually. Everything about St. Elmo's Fire, all the behind the scenes info, we have a whole guide page on that and it'll tell you things that you never knew about the film. We appreciate you listening um, and you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher uh, and Blog Talk Radio, so please like and subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. At 80s Movie Guide. Thanks for listening. Thanks.